It's already been a sweet moment of worship this morning. I know we're excited about getting in the Word of God, but before we do, uh, I want to celebrate with you some things that are going on in the life of our church. One, um, you may not have realized this, uh, but we sent out almost 60 people to four different places across the world this past week. Um, so this past week, we had over 60 people serving in four various parts of the world, literally reaching all four corners of the earth. Isn't that awesome to think about that we as a church? Well, here, here's what gets even better than that. Um, because we sent out those people, we saw over 50 people make decisions for Christ in their life. And that is, I, I told the team yesterday, I was like, that's why we do what we do. The, the reason we exist as a church is because we want to see the gospel go forward and advance into the lives of not only our community, but really all throughout the world. And it's so exciting to be a part of a church that takes our community seriously, that takes taking the gospel to the community seriously, but also to the ends of the earth. Well, this past week, my family and I also got to participate in our very first mission trip together. Um, so that was a uh, a moment for us that we will always remember, will forever cherish. We got to go to Puerto Rico. Uh, Puerto Rico is a place where the fingerprints of Eagles Landing has been all over it for so many years. Um, almost two decades worth of ministry that we have done on the island there. Everywhere you go, they know of Eagles Landing. And uh, so I speak uh, for them in saying thank you so much for the investment that you've made over the previous uh, 10 to 15 to 20 years, but also we're excited about what God's going to continue to do even in the next 10, 15 to 20 years on that island as well. Uh, the very first day, uh, Kayla and I, my family, we uh, woke up that morning, we stood in line for an hour and a half to get breakfast, and we learned quickly that they don't function like America, right? Like we were showing up for breakfast to eat in 30 minutes and to go. Uh, but we were in line an hour and a half later. Uh, we learned quickly that uh, they, they don't just eat, they actually dine. They like to stay there for a while, and they talk, and they enjoy each other's fellowship as much as they do the food. Um, in America, we don't do that. We enjoy the food, maybe a little bit of fellowship, and we're ready to get on to the next thing. Uh, and usually it's within an hour. So we weren't even in the restaurant. But anyway, we made our way out the door, and we started our way uh, to our very first location. Um, and when we got there, we were working with Sin Relief. There was... Uh, just a bunch of brush that had invaded this guy's home. This guy was a former boxer in Puerto Rico, very famous. You can Google his name and see all of his accomplishments there. Um, but I have a picture of my friend that I want to show you real quick. This is uh, the two of us. It's behind us. Um, so we arrived at his little uh, neighborhood, if you will. Uh, his whole family lived right there together. Um, he's a former boxer, but because of alcohol and drugs, uh, it ruined his life. And it also ruined uh, any wealth that he had accumulated. Um, so this is where he lives. You can see his brother's house right behind us. Um, but one of the things that I loved about this guy is one that he was full of life. Um, he enjoyed playing around with my son, River, who was five years old. And uh, we had a long conversation with him. He told us two things I'll never forget. The first thing that he said is he said to my wife and I, he said, you're the first white family to ever enter our neighborhood. The second as he told me, after I told him the reason we were there to work is because we loved him, he said, you're the first white guy who's ever said he loved me. He has yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus, but because we're showing him both in word and deed the gospel of Jesus, I believe he's on the brink of becoming a believer. And we're going to keep praying for him and keep visiting him, and hopefully before it's all over, he will become 
a saint of God and a brother in Christ. So let's be praying for him. But that's one story that I wanted to share with you of all the tremendous things that God has done over the course of the past week. And I'm excited to see what he's going to continue to do in the future. Now, if one week in Puerto Rico taught me anything, it was this. I am the furthest thing from equipped to be preaching the sermon that I'm going to be preaching today. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about meekness. And meekness is a word that we don't throw around a lot in our English vocabulary. Uh, but you'll see why I think I'm the furthest thing from equipped to preach this as we dive into it. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Um, you might remember, but we started a new series called The Blessed Life a few weeks ago. And we're just walking through the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the prelude of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. This is his introduction, if you will. Um, so we're walking through these Beatitudes. Each Beatitude begins with the same word. That is the word blessed. And we talked in week one and in week two what that word blessed means. And we're going to cover that again today because it's really uh, important that you understand what this word means in order for us to get holistically what this passage is talking about. Okay, some of your translations uh, translate this word makarios, that's the Greek word here, M-A-K-A-R-I-O-U-S, makarios, into the word happy. Okay, that is a translation of the Greek word makarios, happy or blessed. We've also said it can mean to be approved. Um, some translations, uh, not familiar with which ones they are, might even use the word successful because in, uh, in, in the Greek context, that's actually how you can interpret that word as to be the word successful as well. But it's important to remember that if your translation interprets this or translates this as the word happy, that this is not a happiness as you and I understand it. It's not a happiness that's based on happenstance. In other words, it's not a happy that's based on the circumstances in our life. You know, our happiness fluctuates based on the situations that we find ourselves in. You walked outside, it's a beautiful, almost spring-like day, and you can feel, you know, the, the, the emotions of happiness kind of go through your body. You walk outside and it's a gray, wet, cold day, and you feel just the opposite. Okay, our happenstances, our circumstances, our situation are dictating our happiness. That's not this kind of happiness. The happiness here that Jesus is talking about is a deep joy regardless of the circumstance that's around us. It's a deep joy that nobody can strip away or nothing can strip away. Because this deep joy is not dependent on people. <laughs> it's not dependent on, on circumstance, it's not dependent on places, it's not de dependent on my current situation. It comes from God, a God who never changes, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So therefore that joy can remain constant because God remains constant. So it's bigger than our circumstance, it's rooted in something much deeper than that, it's rooted in God himself. So in week one, we talked about Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they or for theirs, is the kingdom of heaven. And I told you in week one, this sets the foundation for everything else that we're going to build upon. And we come to this poor in spirit, this poverty of spirit. What does that actually mean? It means to be spiritually bankrupt before God. It means to be fully dependent on God for all things. Now, the first thing that should come to your mind there is how you and I were fully dependent on God for salvation. There is nothing that you and I can do to earn our way back to God. 
There's no good work, no good deed, no amount of money that we can give or church attendance that we can have in order for us to find good standing before God because of our sin. So, again, we are completely dependent on God for our salvation. But we're also completely dependent on God for our spiritual growth. Our salvation from beginning to end is really all about God. We are the potter, or God is the potter, we are the clay. And he's constantly molding us each and every day, shaping us to restore us into the image of God. So we're dependent on him for our spiritual growth, but we're also dependent on him for ministry. You see, one of the things that we have to understand, as 2 Corinthians tells us, is that yes, we've been reconciled to God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, but we're also now called into the ministry of reconciliation. So every person who names the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior is a minister of the gospel everywhere you go. It's not just for a few people, it's for all of us who name the name of Jesus. So we're dependent on him for ministry as well. And we said that first week that really poverty of spirit is a consciousness of that emptiness. That that all we have and all we are is because of who God is and what he's doing in and through our lives. And then in week two, we built upon that foundation and it says in verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And we said, namely, the things that we should mourn, remember we said we're going to dive into the deep end and swim into the shallow end? That deep end is we said we're going to mourn what's deeply spiritual. We're going to mourn the sins of the world. Jesse Welver said it best in a prayer that he and I were praying one day. He he said, "I, I don't want to get mad at the world. I want to mourn the sins of the world. So some of us, we get mad at the sin. We just don't mourn over that sin, right? But not only do we mourn the sin of the world, we also mourn the sin of self. We recognize how pitifully uh, far short we fall from the glory of God, and we mourn over that reality. And as we swim into the shallow end, we talked about how even as believers, we're going to grieve. One inevitable that's, that's alike, that makes all of us in this room alike, is that at some point, all of us are going to grieve. We're going to grieve loss or grieve something. And we as believers grieve differently than the ways of the world. We talked about that in week two to as well. So today we're going to be going into verse 5. Verse 5 says this, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Again, right out of the gate here, Jesus is teaching us a principle that stands in complete contrast to the principles of the world. The things that you and I learn in the culture around us, Jesus is pushing hard against those, uh, those cultural trends. See, the world teaches us that in order to inherit the earth, we must do so through power. We must inherit the earth through conquest. We must inherit the earth through strength. We inherit the earth when we climb the ladder of success or we work our way to the top of the flow chart or we gain wealth or we gain possessions or we gain even position. That's how the world teaches us that you and I inherit the earth. When in fact, here in scripture, we think of, when we think of a characteristic of one who does inherit the earth, the things that you and I think of are completely polar opposite to what scripture teaches. When we think of characteristics of people who will inherit the earth, we think of people who are confident, people who are aggressive, people who are assertive or tenacious. We, we certainly don't think of the word meekness as someone who's going to inherit the world around them. We don't naturally view meekness as an enviable quality. I've never met a person 
who said, this year for my New Year's resolution, I just want to grow in meekness. I've never sat in a job interview when I asked, hey, what is your best quality, your best characteristic? And they say, oh, I'm super meek. I'm the meekest man you'll ever meet. I've never seen that. And chances are you've never sat in a job interview and you've never sat across the table from someone who asked you your greatest strength and you responded with meekness. But, but it is and it should be an enviable quality. See, the word meek is a very interesting word. In fact, we don't use this word meek much in our American context. I would say, arguably, you don't use the word meek in any cultural context. In fact, I can count on one finger the number of times I've referred to someone as meek. And even then, I misused the word because I was equating meekness with simply niceness. You do the same thing. You think just nice people must be meek people. But listen, meekness does not lack conviction. It doesn't lack conviction. It's a virtue that draws courage and conviction from God and from God alone. So meekness is a word that we're going to dive into today, and it's one that I feel like I am so unqualified to preach. It's something that God is teaching. I told you at the beginning of this year, my word for the year was what? Gentleness. Some of you remember that. It was gentleness, okay? Because I need to grow in gentleness. But here's the deal. A lot of times, this, word, this, this Greek word meek that we translate as meek also can be trans, translated as gentle. So you can already see that this is something that I wrestle with on the daily so we should aspire to grow in meekness. But the question on the table is why? Why should I, why should we as a church, why should you as an individual, why should we aspire to grow in meekness? Well, it's simple. It's because Jesus is one who's characterized and known as being meek. Flip over a couple of pages to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. It says right here in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Many of you are familiar with this text of Scripture, by the way. If you're not, you're going to want to memorize this because it will, it will be used at some point in your life, I assure you. It says this in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I love that word. Labor and heavy laden. This word heavy laden means when the weight of the world falls upon you. Ever felt like the way of the world has fallen upon you? Show of hands. Anybody? Just me? A lot of us. When the weight of the world, when you feel like it's fallen upon you, when you feel like you're suffocating from the various pressures of life, ever felt like that? Ever felt frazzled or dismayed or weary or just flat out exhausted from the various pressures of life? Jesus says here, what? Come to me, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. That's the same Greek word that's translated for meek. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, the Son of God, refers to himself here in Matthew chapter 11 as meek and lowly in heart. You know what I find interesting about Matthew chapter 11? Is Jesus is tying rest to meekness. What I've discovered in my own life, and maybe what you've discovered in yours, is when exhaustion takes over me, 
sin comes out of me. When I grow tired and I grow weary, anger and frustration begin to spew out of my life. First day in Puerto Rico, I just told you about this guy we met. You want to hear about the morning and the day, the day before? All right, we were late to the airport. We thought we were going to miss our flight. It was raining outside. We're busting it to get there. We're going through the parking garage trying to find a park. We probably did that for what felt like 30 minutes, thinking, oh, boy. I had to let my family out and say, y'all just go. Hopefully, I'll catch the flight. I had to go to the very, the very back of the economy parking lot, way back in the back, and finally found a park, all right? Now, as you would imagine, I get out my suitcase. I'm running through the rain trying to catch my family because they're now waiting in security in the line, all right? And would you not, I get all the way to the front of Economy parking lot, about to cross the road to go into the, to the uh, whatever the thing's called, the airport. And would you not believe that when I'm crossing the road, just like normal life, right, here comes a car just going to back out of the parking spot. Like, why can't that happen like 10 minutes ago? All right, so that happens, and I go into the airport to catch my family. We finally get on this plane. By the way, the line was longer than we've ever seen it at the Atlanta airport that day. Um, so we have to go through all that mess. I felt like we went through the line twice. That's how long it was. And then we finally get in there, and we get to the, uh, the hotel. We get to the hotel. One of our rooms was available. The other one was not because they were still cleaning it. Then they call us and tell us the room's available, so we go pick up the key. This is about two hours later. We go, we pick up the key, we go up to the room. There's a cart parked outside. The door's wide open, and someone's inside. The, the floors are soaking wet. So I walk inside, and I'm like, I don't, I'm not sure if it's available, if it's not available. Is this our room? Is, are we have the wrong room? What's going on? And she's like, oh, no, there's a leak in the wall. <laughs> and the, the room is flooded. So I'm thinking, oh, this is great. We got all of our stuff unpacked in one room, thinking that we were just going to move it over into the connecting room. And uh, so that was our first day, right? Then we go to the restaurant. They say it's going to be a 30-minute wait, and there's nobody in the restaurant. But remember, they dine. <laughs> so they can't book it. People are going to sit at that table for four hours. You can't get there um, and sit it for 30 minutes. They don't, they don't understand that. So anyway, all that to say, so the next day comes. We're tired. We're exhausted. It was a long day at the airport, only a three-hour flight, but still we're exhausted. We have kids that we're trying to carry around. The next day, we wake up, and I tell you, we wait in line for breakfast for an hour and a half. An hour and a half. I've never heard of that. It was continental breakfast, by the way. In America, continental means waffles and pancakes and pastries and cereals and fruits and yogurts and chocolate milk. In Puerto Rico, continental means bread and fruit. So we waited for an hour and a half so we could eat like two pieces of bread and a couple pieces of fruit. Now we're late to our first project. So we're rushing. To, that was a whole other thing. We, we had to use the valet thing. Pity you people who have the tough life of using valet. We had to use it at this hotel. But we use valet. They finally get our car. We get in the car, and we start up the road. And, guys, I'm just going to be real transparent. There came a point because the seat, we pulled it up, and it didn't lock back in position. So the kids are fighting, and all we hear is a boom. The seat throws itself into the back of the path. And at that point, I'm just like, can y'all just stop? And Kayla's like, I think we should just pull over and just take a minute. <laughs> so we pulled over in the middle of Puerto Rico. Not, not, not even on the side of the road. <laughs> we just stopped in the middle of the road because we didn't know where to go. But we had to get ourselves together so we could go do the Lord's work because we weren't walking in the Spirit. <laughs> When exhaustion takes over me, anger comes out of me, 
In a world where we're on the go, 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 it's no wonder we've lost all meekness. It's no wonder meekness has fled our vocabulary. Because we don't know how to slow down, we don't know how to rest. There's two things I want to show you real quick this morning. The first one is this. In order for us to know what meekness is, we have to know what it's not. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. All the men in the room, if you're a man, raise your hand. All right, all the men in the room, I need you to hear this, and this is not an advertisement for meet the heat or whatever, okay? I want you to be there. It's not an advertisement for that. I want you to say this. Weak or meek ain't weak. Say it again. Say it so your wife believes it. Meek ain't weak, all right? All the men, we just need to know that meek ain't weak. Meekness does not mean that you become a doormat. That's not what meekness means. It's not passive. It's not inactive. Meekness is not lazy. It's not idle. Meekness is not cowardice. Meekness is not fragile. That's what meekness is not. Meekness is not weakness. But what is meekness? This is how I would define it. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is when you and I have power, and when you and I have strength, but that power and that strength is under control. It's submitted power. See, the word meek from the original language was used to describe reigning in a powerful stallion. It's the idea of a powerful stallion being controlled by a bit and bridle. That powerful stallion, that stallion, it still has its strength. It still has its power. It's just submitted to its master that's controlling it. That's what meekness is. It's power under constraint. It's still power. It's still strength. Don't miss that part. It's important. Meekness is still power. It's still strength. But it's power and strength under control. Namely, it's power and strength under God's control. This is important. Why why is this important? If we have power and strength without control... That would be very dangerous, and quite frankly, it would be very destructive. Let me give you an example. Your words are very powerful. When your words are not under the control of the Holy Spirit, they are extremely dangerous and destructive. That's why the power of your words needs to be submitted to the authority of God's word so that those words don't come out and do the destruction that they can do. If we did not have control of our power and strength, we'd react in damaging ways. We'd run through life hurting and destroying everything that we touched. But when power is under control, it's guided. It's purposeful. See, meekness is power and control under the reins of the master. That's what meekness is. It's power and it's control under the reins of the master, Jesus himself. Isn't this where you want to live, church family? Isn't this where you want to be in your Christian walk? Is to live under the reins of Jesus, controlling every word that is said, every action that is acted upon, every thought that goes through your mind? See, if the word of God does not control us, if the spirit of God does not transform us, if we aren't submitted and surrendered to Jesus, then you and I, we're like a wild stallion. We sat there on the east coast of Puerto Rico with a church planter on Thursday and he walked me to the, the, the seashore there. This is where all the hurricanes hit because it's the east side of the island. And he's showing me some of the damage and 
how you know Maria came through there and how it damaged the island. And he points through this fog and he says, you see those trees over there? And I said, yeah. And he says, that's actually an island. You can take a ferry over there. There is a little bit of civilization over there, but people just kind of go over there for the day. And, I was, and, and, and that comment, when he's talking about this, he said, they just go over, the, over there for the day. And I said, well, that's not asked. Is there civilization there? And he said, yeah, there's some civilization over there. Very little. And he said, but people just kind of go look at the, the wild horses. And the way he said it, I said, man, you, said, you say that like it's a concerning thing, not a delighting thing, like a delightful thing. And he said, yeah, have you ever seen a wild stallion, a wild horse? I was like, I don't, I don't think I have. He said, well, it's different. In American culture where you go to a gate of somebody or to a stable and there's a horse, you can pet it, you can you know, hang out with it, whatever, and, and they're cute and they're nice and all that stuff. And he said, but a wild horse, like they have no way to feed themselves unless they go out and find food. They have no way to drink unless they go out and find water. They are somebody's prey. And they have to protect themselves from any predator that will come around. It's been said that wild stallions see humans as dogs. That's a true quote. If a wild horse feels uncomfortable, he says they'll charge at you. They'll bite at you. And not only that, but they'll do anything they can to protect themselves from you. And stallions, specifically stallions, don't need anything to provoke them to that end. Do you know that the bite of a stallion alone is 500 PSI? Okay, PSI is how you measure pressure, okay? It's 500 PSI. The bite of a lion is 650. The bite of a stallion alone is equivalent to if you took out your pressure washer, put it on its highest setting, took off your shoe, and sprayed your foot. The same pressure that takes paint off brick walls, you just sprayed your foot with. That's what it would feel like. That's the pressure of a bite of a stallion. This is why the old English used this term, we are meeking a horse. We say we're breaking in a horse these days. Old English would say we're meeking a horse. See, meeking a horse didn't mean to strip the power from the horse, but to harness the horse's power from a state of wild independence to one of loyalty so the horse can be used the way that's intended. Did you hear that? When they meeked the horse, they didn't strip the horse from its power. They, they didn't strip it from its power at all. Instead, they harnessed the horse's power so that it could be stripped from its way of independence and then it can start doing whatever its master tells it to do. That's meekness. It's strength. It's power under control. Let me give you one other example. Miss Lee is going to come on stage, and I felt like this tangible for those of you who are visual learners would be a little easier to understand. This is a night to shine balloon. Y'all remember night to shine? All right, well, one, this is probably the most powerful balloon I've ever seen because it's still inflated, and it's literally from night to shine. I didn't blow this up later. It's still inflated, has all of its air. But when we think of meekness, we can't think of meekness like this balloon. See, this balloon's weak. It's fragile, right? It's very weak. It's very fragile. But here's the beauty about this balloon. is when you blow wind, it goes wherever the wind goes. I could get on the other side and do the same thing. For some of you, this is how you approach meekness. This is how you approach the power in your life. Whatever culture says, you just go with the winds of the culture. If Jesus is offensive, let's not talk about Jesus. If that hurts someone's feelings, and I shouldn't probably say it, even if it's the truth, 
I should probably just not say it because it might hurt someone's feelings. Some of you, this is how you operate on the daily. You treat your life really like a balloon. Others of you, you're not necessarily a balloon, but you're more like a sledgehammer. Know what that means? Everybody's going to hell. Oh, yeah. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. Everybody says something on Facebook that you don't like, and you feel like you got to type it. You shouldn't have said that. I don't agree with you. You, you just get on social media, and you just unleash like a sledgehammer. The, the best example I can give of this is when I went to a Georgia Bulldog football game and sat on the bridge before the game started, and he had this open-air preacher that's sitting on the bridge, and I'm just curious. I'm just going to listen to what he says. And he tells every single person around him, none of them are righteous, all of them are sinners, they're all going to hell, they're idol worshipers because they're at a football game. And I'm thinking, dude, Jesus wouldn't do anything like that. The only person righteous is you and maybe your wife that's standing embarrassingly to your right. I mean, that's how they, they, they talk, and you know what I mean. No, there's no gentleness, there's no meekness, there's, there's no Jesus, quite frankly. But listen... Meekness is not like a balloon that just kind of floats and does whatever culture says it is supposed to do and treads cautiously through everything that is. But it's also not like a sledgehammer where every single opinion that you and I have, we feel like it has to be expressed. And it's done so with this power and fortitude as if we're the authority and someone else is not. Or we have it all together and someone else doesn't. It's not either one of those two things. Meekness is the power of complete surrender under the power of Jesus Christ. That's what meekness is. Let me give you a couple of examples of meekness, and I know this is going to distract you, so I'm going to move it. Think about the life of Moses. By the way, sorry for the rather impulsive screaming, but it does wake you up. Makes your pacemaker skip a beat or two, too. Uh, the Bible says that Moses was one of the meekest men who ever lived. Numbers 12.3, I think is where it's at. Right? Y'all know this. Moses is one of the meekest men who ever lived. You know who wrote that? Moses. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? But it made it, right? It made it. If God approved it, it must be right. All right, so Moses, the Bible says, is one of the meekest men who ever lived. Moses was a deliverer. He was a warrior. He led millions on an impossible journey through the wilderness. He parted the Red Sea by the power of God. He defeated Pharaoh's armies. All the Egyptians died at the hands of Moses. Moses was a man of purpose, but Moses was also a man of power. But it came through meekness. What about Isaiah? The Bible tells us that Isaiah walked in meekness. Isaiah confronted an entire nation on their idolatry. He confronted them about their idol worship and the sin and rebellion that ruled their hearts. He took a strong stand against their evil. He wasn't a balloon. He took a strong stand, and he wasn't the guy at the Georgia Bulldog football game either. All right, let's make sure we're clear about that. He took a strong stand against all their evil and nonsense, but how? He did it through the power of meekness. What about Jesus? Jesus doesn't give us a ton of self-descriptions. But one descriptor that we do get of Jesus is when he describes himself in Matthew chapter 11 as one who is meek. We've never seen strength under control like we have when Jesus went to the cross. Philippians 2 describes it like this. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, power, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Father. See, church family, your sin and my sin, it provokes the wrath of God. Instead of discharging his wrath on us, he was meek and gentle towards us. He sent Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He sent Jesus to rescue us from the firm grip of this sinful world and to deliver us so that we could walk in freedom with him forever. That's the gospel. That is power under control. There's two things that we need to understand about meekness this morning as we conclude. The first one is this, meekness is about God. And if meekness is about God, that means meekness is not about me. It's not about you. It's easy for us to approach a passage like this and think, well, meekness must be about me, and I have to grow in meekness, and I have to do this, and I have to do that. And we develop this list of things we ought to do so that we can become more meek. But meekness isn't about you. It's about God. God gives meekness so that others might know him. Our role in this is just to stay surrendered, is to submit to his authority, is to be completely, is to relinquish all power and all control to him. Every time meekness yields to God, not to sin. Meekness never yields to the ways of the world. It always yields to the truth of God's word. What is meekness? We sung it a moment ago. Meekness is resignation. Not my will be done, but your will be done in me and through me. If you're here today, and I hope you are if you're, if you're listening. If you're here today and you think, you know what? I'm a man of meekness or a woman of meekness. Well, you just lost it. Meekness is all about God. But the second thing we need to understand is not only is meekness all about God, meekness is for others. It's about God, but it's for others. See, a great definition of meekness would be like this. Meekness is poverty of spirit directed towards other people. That's why poverty of spirit is the foundational uh, verse here. It's poverty of spirit directed at other people. Meekness is a wit witness to other people. Think of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. When someone says, what makes you the way that you are, you need to be ready to defend that. When someone says to you, why do you have joy in the midst of all that chaos? You need to be ready to answer that. And he says this, yet do it with gentleness. That same word could be translated as meekness and respect. The more I've learned about meekness, the more I've learned that this ain't it. The truth is, the more you learn about meekness, the more you will learn that you're not it as well. James 1.21 is a landmark passage on meekness. I want to read it to you this morning. It says this. It says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. This is a command. 88 verses in James, 44 of them are practical commands to you and I. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with what? Meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So, Trey, I've recognized that the power of my words are destructive. The power of my actions lead to a downward spiral towards destruction. How do I get this strength, this power under control? How do I submit all of my life under the lordship of Christ? How do I become meek? I want to give you three steps to help you become meek individuals. First, it begins with repentance. It begins with repentance. A repentant heart acknowledges its need for God. It admits that we have sinned against God, but we've also sinned against other people. And because we've sinned against God, we go to God and we seek forgiveness from God. And because we've sinned against other people, we go to other people and we ask for their forgiveness. If you're in the room and you're thinking, well, you know what? I'm not going to that person and asking for forgiveness. Then your strength and your power is not under the control of the master. I'm not forgiving that person. You don't know what they did to me. Then your strength, your power is not under control of the master. It begins with repentance. Step number two, it requires a receptive spirit. It requires a receptive spirit. I want to have meekness in my life. We must open up our lives and allow Jesus to begin molding us into his image. By the way, it's never pretty. It's not always easy. Sometimes you're going to want to just pull over on the side of the road. Ask God to help you grow in gentleness throughout the year. You might be late to the airport. You follow me? You might stand in a line for an hour and a half. You don't even like to do that at Six Flags, much much less at a restaurant. It's not easy. It requires receptive spirit. We've got to be willing to receive it. And the third step is it leads to a responsive life. James continues a few chapters later by telling us not to be hearers of the word only, but to be doers. That we ought to be becoming what we are learning in Scripture. I've had this conversation with our staff in various ways, and one of the ways I've painted this picture to them, and I want to share it with you, is this is what I like to say. You're all ministers of the gospel. You all are. Our staff is also ministers of the gospel, and I tell them all the time, ministry requires thick skin, but it requires a soft heart. Two things you have to have in ministry at any level is thick skin and a soft heart. People are going to say some really ridiculous things to you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to compare you to other people. They're going to tell you what you ought never do again and what you ought to continue to do. They're very opinionated. You've got to have thick skin to fight through that. But you also have, a, have to have a soft heart. You have to receive what they say. You have to line it up with Scripture and if God says throw it in the trash and throw it in the trash. But if God says keep it, you need to heat it and you need to keep it. I want to read for you in closing today, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, our verse that we walked through today. I want to read it from the message, okay? I'm not an advocate of the message. I think in some cases it it speaks well and others it's a little bit misleading. That's just my opinion there. It's not my opinion. That's a fact. However, I want to read it from you or to you because I do think it'll help better translate and help you understand what this verse is saying. Listen to this. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. 
What does that mean? Here it is. This is me. I'm content with who I am. I'm not trying to act like I have a gift that I really don't possess. I'm not seeking for you to affirm something that I want to be, but I'm not necessarily being. What does that mean? If I'm not a good teacher, then I need to just own it. I'm not a good teacher. This is who God made me. He didn't make me to have that gift. He made me to have the gift of hospitality or the gift of whatever. I can't pursue to be someone I'm not necessarily created to be. I'm content with just who I am, no more, no less. I'm not trying to be you. You're not trying to be me. We're just trying to be the people that God created us to be. And it says that's the moment you will find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. I love how it says it that way. So many people are trying to buy themselves into power. So many people are trying to finance themselves into influence. And Jesus says, that's reserved for the meek. If you want to inherit the earth, it requires meekness in your heart, and it requires meekness in mine. I don't know about you, but the Lord has used this passage this past week to mold and shape me to look more like him. And I think he's going to continue to do it in the days ahead because some of the tests that he put in front of me, I failed. Some I passed. But don't you want to be meek? Don't you want to be a person who has the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit but is under the control of his supervision? It's under the control of his jurisdiction. And everything in our lives is completely surrendered holistically to him.